Amen. I love Timbali. I do think she's called to preach. Um, welcome. It's good to see all of you. My name is Dennis, if you don't know me. Um, we're going to start a new series today. The series is called Ekaya. Let's talk about home. And we're talking about home. We're talking about the places we live. So let's pray as we start. Father God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for these moments in the service already. Just, Lord, Lord, you being glorified. Lord, you calling us up to be the men, the, the children of God you've called us to be. And so, Lord God, as we share your word today, I pray for your, your presence. I pray for your anointing. I pray, Lord God, that you will share and speak to each one of our hearts in the way you want to speak to us, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So this sermon series has three parts. The first part is this one, which is called creating culture, and I'll unpack that a little bit as we go. Now, when we talk about homes, I'm talking about a family, so it might be parents with children. I'm talking about single parents. This is relevant to you too, if you're a single parent. I'm talking about if you're living with other people, that's a home, and God wants to be present in that home. Even if you're living on your own, God still wants to be present in that home. So this is relevant to every single one of you. And so that's what we're talking about today. So we're going to start by delving into Scripture, which is always a good place to start. And that's Psalm 127. So go with me to har Psalm, not harm, Psalm 127. This Scripture says as follows. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city... The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Sounds like life in Joburg. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And I want you to notice something. It says, unless the Lord builds the house. And so we need God in our families. We need God in our homes. Because unless God is in our homes, we're laboring in vain. But you can see the progression. It goes from the house into the city. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city. Then what that scripture does it goes to the individual. We're working, we've got our anxious toil happening, and then it talks about our children. So it comes to our family. So from us as an individual to our families. But then what it does, it says, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So it goes from us as an individual to our families, to our children, into our city, into the people around us. And so that's what we're talking about today. Now the... Interesting thing is, we, we, we don't realize, we underestimate the power of our home in our lives. So I'll give you an example. Many years ago, I was working at His People Cape Town, um, and my, my, we were on our way to work. My wife was going to drop me, and as we were driving, her and I got into an argument. Okay, you know how this goes. Something small, and it becomes this big thing. Yeah. And we're arguing, and, and we're, no one's winning. I think it was, it was my fault. Okay. <laughs> Um, I will admit to that. 
But I got to work and I was frustrated. So I got out of the car, kind of kissed her goodbye, just kind of, it wasn't, I still had things. And so I went into the office and it was the day of our Bible school graduation. So we had a thousand people who were graduating from Bible school. I was heading it up and I had to make it happen. So we go there and so already I've got this thing in me. I walk into the office, there's a young lady there, one of our team, and she didn't do what she was supposed to do yesterday. So you can see some problems coming. So I, spoke, I go to her and I speak to her. I thought I spoke well, but I, th I think I spoke really strongly. I used good words, but they were strong words. And so she started to cry, okay? So I felt bad. But then what she did is she then went to her mom who worked at the office. Now her mom is cross. And then her mom went to my boss. And so now what had become, like started as a difficult day, just got progressively worse. Now, God was honored through it. We sort of sorted all of that out. I learned a very important lesson. Um, but the lesson was, and, and God was glorified through the Bible school graduation. But what happened is I took something from my home into my workplace. And that's what happens to us each day. We carry stuff with us. And so that's why God's interested in our homes, because he's interested in what happens there, because it carries through into the rest of our lives. And that's why we're talking about it in this series. The reason for homes is we all want to belong. We all want to belong and fit in in some way. We all want to feel that we have a place which is safe. We all feel we want to have a place where we can kind of be ourselves, where we can be true to who God's made us to be. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel loved. We want to feel approval. That's why we have things like Facebook and Instagram, because what? We want those likes. Hey, we want those shares, because what? We're looking for the approval of people because we have the sense we want to belong. We don't want to be pushed out or ostracized. Brene Brown, who's a sociologist, she has the following quote, and this speaks to this. She says, a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. And this is why we need family. This is why we need homes to be reflecting God. Because face it, our homes are all messed up. Okay? If I think of... I've. As a husband, as a father, I've made a ton of mistakes. I'm not standing here as the expert. I'm more standing here. I've got the bruises from making mistakes as a father, as a husband. We're all messed up. Our homes are messed up. If you're sitting here, you probably got hurt from something that was said for you, to you in your home. It might be something that was done. It might be verbal abuse. It might be physical abuse. It might even be sexual abuse. Where something has been done in, the, in your home where you felt it should be safe, but it's not been safe. There's jealousy, there's criticism, there's a pulling down. And that's not God's will for our homes. That's not what God wants to see in our families. He has a different picture. He wants to see something else. He wants to see a culture that's reflecting Him. Now, there's a saying in the business world that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So picture this. Say I own a business, which I don't. But say I own a business, and in my business, my strategy is to, 
get, be, have the best customers, serve my customers the best, and make my product the best in its class because of great customer service. That's my strategy. But in my organization, I have people working there who are lazy, who are just wanting to protect their job, who are just doing the minimum in their job, who don't want to take accountability when things go wrong, who don't want to put in their all. So what have I got? I've got a culture there. And that culture, do you think with that culture I'm going to reach that strategy? Not at all. So culture eats strategy for breakfast. The same thing is in our homes. The culture of our homes impacts our world out there. The culture that we have in our homes impacts us as we step into our workplace, step into even church. So I'm going to start with a little story as we dig into culture. And this is a story of my wife and I. That's us. Yay. Okay, now you'll notice two things about that picture. Okay. The first one is my wife is beautiful and I am blessed. Amen. The second one is I had hair. Okay. Now, the fact that I've been married for 24 and a half years, there's no correlation between the lack of hair and that. Now, picture this. This, this is slime. It's courtesy of my seven-year-old daughter, Tiffany. And so, picture this. The two of us, what happened is we met on Vitz campus. Yay, Vitz. Um, and on Vitz campus... We, um, Nikki was the campus director for girls, um, Roger was actually ministering to the guys, and I was an honors student doing archaeology, and so we met there, we met in February, we got engaged in May, yay, and we got married in December, okay, so... Miracles do happen. So, think about it this. We have, we have two cultures. We have Nikki's culture and my culture. I come from a sort of a quiet, reserved family. We're a British family. We do things in the right way. Okay? Nikki came from an Afrikaans culture, but I think 75% of her culture comes from Italy. So there's passion and enthusiasm and loudness. <laughs> so you had these two cultures coming together. So how in our family we deal with conflict, we, we don't deal with conflict. Okay, everything goes quiet. In her family you do with, deal with conflict, but you deal with conflict. Okay? And so this was the culture. So now we had two cultures. So what do we do to bring those together? What do we do to create the culture of our home in the right way? The pastor at our wedding was Pastor Bill Bennett, and he he's, was the founding pastor of this congregation. And so he said at our wedding, he, he read this following scripture, and if you've been to a wedding, you've heard this one before. Mark 10, verse 7 to 9 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So as we went into this marriage, what did we do? We heard that scripture, what God has joined together. And so we knew God had joined us together. So we knew the foundation 
There was a foundation for our culture. It was like the, the bottom of this little container. It created the culture for our marriage. It created the foundation of our marriage because we knew God had called us together. So even when we disagreed with one another, we knew God had called us together. So we said, okay, we're going to fight for that. We're going to fight for our marriage. The th second thing, and this is what Pastor Bill said, he went looked to the congregation, the, our friends and our family, and he said, God has called this couple together, and it says they let not man separate, and your job as friends and family of Dennis and Nikki is to draw them together. Your job is to build up this marriage. Your job is not to speak negatively about this marriage. Your job is not to break down this marriage. Your job is not to break down them as individuals or their relationship or what they do or how they do things. Your job is to lift them up. And this applies to marriage, but it applies to families as well. It applies to our homes, where our job is not to be breakers down. It's not a word, but it's now a word. We're not called to be breakers down, but builders up. That's what God has called us to, and that sets the foundation for our culture. And as we live in family, as we grew up as a couple, we started to do things in a particular way. And that creates our family's culture. So if you put the next photo on the, on the screen, that's a photo of my daughter Talitha next to a cake with her name on it. Now, the interesting thing is when we dedicated my first daughter, Daniela, she's now 20, Talitha's now 18, and when we dedicated Daniela to the Lord, we had a cake with her name on it, and we wanted to take a photo of her next to the cake. So we put her next to the cake, tried to take the photo, and she grabbed her hand and went for the cake. <laughs> then what happened is that became part of our culture. So when we had Talitha's baby dedication here, we again put Talitha, because we needed a photo of Talitha next to the cake, but she couldn't just sit there, she had to touch it. And so there she is with her hand in the cake, but she's an all-in kind of young lady, so she climbed in with her leg, and you know, she... And so each one of our girls, this has been part of our culture. Now, we all have things like this in our families that frame our culture. But it's important that our culture is reflecting God. And so let's see what the Bible says about our culture. Go with me to Joshua 24, verse 14 to 15. Joshua 24, verse 14 to 15. This scripture says the following, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." And God calls us to serve him. And I, I want to go to the next slide. You'll see I've broken that down a little bit. And it starts with what it says is, therefore fear the Lord. What came before that was where Joshua was, was painting the picture of all that God had done. How mighty God was on behalf of the Israelites. And it says, therefore fear the Lord. This word fear is yare in the Hebrew. And what it means, it doesn't mean scared, I'm scared, I'm going to hide away from something. It means a reverence, an awe. God is big, I am small, he is great, but he still loves me. It's that reverence. Now, we need to have the fear of God in our homes because often things happen in our homes that shouldn't have or shouldn't because we think we, no one can see. But when I've said words that are not honoring to my wife, when I've said words that have broken down, when I've done things that have broken down, what have they done? God has seen it. 
And so this fear of the Lord should say, okay, Lord, help me to be true to you. Help me not to do things within the life of my family that I shouldn't be doing. Secondly, we're called to serve him. We're called to serve him. We're called to look at what God says and do it. We're called to serve him. We're called to serve him in sincerity. Now, the word sincerity comes from the Latin sine, without, and sera, which means wax, without wax. And where this comes from, in the Roman times, they used to have people who would build, create statues out of marble or stone. And they would create these amazing statues, but sometimes what would happen as they're busy chipping away at it, it would crack. And so the dishonest people would look at that crack or look at a little chip there, you know, they sort of chipped off the guy's hand or whatever, and they would fill those cracks with wax. And so sincera means without wax, because you either have the statue that has the wax, because they would polish up that wax so it looks nice, but it's not reflecting the reality. And sincerity means to reflect the reality, to reflect what's there, not to hide it, not to put up a facade. We live in a culture where we put up a facade. God wants us to serve us, serve Him without wax, sincerely. He wants us to serve Him faithfully. God also calls us to put away the gods that our fathers served. Putting away means, if I'm putting away this phone, I'm not, I'm not putting it in my pocket. I'm putting it away. It's not me holding my new God, God, almighty God, and the gods of my fathers here and sort of walking with both of them. It's putting it away. And for each of us, your, God, your fathers serve different gods. Who are they? Have you put them away? So for me, my grandfather was into Freemasonry. Freemasonry is like a cult where it's like a secret society where they have sort of all sorts of rituals and so on, which is not biblical. So I had to make sure I put off that stuff. I put off the gods of my fathers. But the other gods of our fathers could be things like pride, could be things like arrogance, could be things like insecurity even, things that have held my family captive. We put those things off. Then it says we need to choose this day whom you will serve. So Dennis, me, I have to choose. I have to make a choice not to go there, but to go there. And what it actually says in that scripture, if you read it, it says, whether your gods, your fathers, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, okay, so we've spoken about that, those are the gods of my fathers, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. We live in Joburg. We dwell in the land of Joburg. And so there's certain gods that are here. They might be the gods of the fancy car. Okay, there's nothing wrong with having a fancy car, but as long as it's not your God. It might be the God of the approval of others. It might be the God of finances, wealth, recognition. So what are the gods you need to move away from? So it ends, Joshua ends by saying, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Before this, he was talking about himself. I need to choose. I need to choose not gods of my fathers, not gods of where I am, but I need to choose God, almighty God. He made a choice for himself. But it ends by saying, I'm going to make a choice for myself, and I'm going to make a choice for my family. I'm going to make a choice for my home, for the people who live with me, even though they might not be my natural children or my own children, or you might be with living with other people in a, in a residence or whatever it might be. God calls us to serve Him, and God calls us to influence that household 
to bring his light and his way. And that's what we do. We create culture. We create culture. But it's a choice we make. If we don't create culture, if we don't put the boundaries around our culture, it's just going to be like this, like this slime. It's just going to kind of go all over the place. And it's just going to kind of, we'll, we'll end up being whatever the world says we must be. So we choose. Our map for choice is God's word. Our map for what we choose is God's word. God's word is what defines how we do it and what we do it. And so if you have to say our culture, we've got these boundaries in place, and it's based on the word. It's resting on the word. And whatever's in the word defines this culture. It's not what people approve of. It's not what our families approve of. It's what does this word say to us? How does this word speak into our culture? So let me look at my family a little bit. This is a, the picture on the screen is a picture of my family. This was 2016. We, okay, obviously we got married. We had four children, okay, so they're the four children. Um, four amazing children. And the amazing thing is God blessed us with this time. And this is us standing underneath the Eiffel Tower. We've, through time, established a certain culture within our home. And so some of that culture is we live the great adventure for God. We live the great adventure for God. We listen to God's voice. We go where he goes. So we, when we got married, the next day we moved to Cape Town. We lived in Cape Town. Then we moved to Swaziland. Then we moved to Joburg. And God's got new things coming. So that's exciting. We live the adventure. Secondly, we take God at his word. And for us as a family, that's important. What does God's word say into the situation? We live by faith and not by sight. Our trust is not in what we see, but in our God. We keep our marriage strong. Now, we have been married for so long because we've been intentional about our marriage. We've built into our marriage. Now, it would be great. The ideal is to take a date night once a week, have a date. But number one, we can't afford that. Number two... We don't have the time for that. And number three, we don't have the babysitters. But what we do is, what do we do? We create culture, but we still have a breakfast once a week. Where we connect on our own without the children to speak culture. After God, we put our family first, before ministry and before work. Because it's important that we build into that. And that's been a decision, and it often results in fights. Because we need to be putting our family first. And there's always a pushing and pulling. We then raise our children so that they love God. And we pray for them. We want to see that God's best for them. So you've heard my culture. You've seen a little bit of what the Bible says about culture. But what are some tools for us? What are some things we can hang on to and build our culture? And I've kind of, as I was praying into this, really felt God saying six things. Now there's more than that but we're going to focus on these six things. The first one is love. Love needs to be the foundation within our homes. 1 Corinthians 13 maps out what that love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Are you echoing that love within your homes? That's what sets the foundation for this culture. When we love, we see the best in a person, not the worst. When we love, we take a risk for the person. When we love, 
We see the person as God sees them. And that's often difficult when we're just seeing this person in front of us. But we're saying, Lord, show me what you see in Nikki. Show me what you see in my girls. Secondly, we give time. Now, we have a culture where we, our time is pulled in different directions always and continually. But God calls us to give time to our families, into our homes. We need to spend time because if you think of Jesus, what did Jesus do? He walked with his disciples. Jesus spent time with his disciples. In our family, we make sure we have meals together at, at dinner time. We sit around the table, we share time, we laugh. But what we also do is we have a moment during that meal where we ask the girls for what is their highlight of the day, and we all share. What is their highlight of the day? And so the reason for that is it allows us to focus in on the positive, because the days had a lot of other stuff, but it also allows us to get into our children's lives to see what's important to them, but it also allows them to appreciate and value and be grateful for the good things. So we build that into our culture. There's a story told of Susanna Wesley in about 1700. She had 19 children. You think you've got problems. <laughs> she had 19 children. Only 10 survived past infancy. So imagine this household. She's got 10 children. But she determined her husband, Samuel, was an itinerant preacher. So he was always all over the place preaching. And so she was essentially looking after this home on her own. And she determined that she would spend an hour a day, I mean an hour a week, meeting with each of her children. So 10 hours a week, meeting with her children, connecting with them, praying for them, speaking truth into, her li into their lives. And the incredible thing is, God used that. Well, it's not so incredible that God used it, but God used it. And so two of her children were John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley was a great evangelist, preacher, the founder of the Methodist movement, Methodist churches we see today. His mom had put into his life. She had created the right culture in the home. The other child, Charles, went on to become a preacher too, but also he wrote 6,500 hymns that we still sing in churches today. The influence of a mom who set and framed the culture in her home. What are you going to give the time? The third one is we walk with. Like I said, Jesus walked with his disciples. He journeyed with them. He shared meals with them. A lot of the conversations you see in the Bible are Jesus walking with. God calls us to walk with people, not to live separate lives. Not to live, this is the husband's life and this is the wife's life and we, we meet at, you know, once a day high. It's to speak into and live with, walk together. We are called to walk with our children. Fourthly, we're called to keep the heart of our children. And there's often a battle around keeping the heart of our children. So I'll give you an example. I have an aunt and uncle who are Jehovah's Witnesses. They may have knocked on your door. Um, they, so they have a son, and when he grew up, the son made some bad choices which they disagreed with. And in their minds, these were terrible choices. And so what they did is they essentially, well, they didn't essentially, they kicked him out of the family. They even said, you're not allowed to carry our name anymore because they were so upset with him. 
And what did they do? They lost the heart of their child. And we have to be careful. I'm a parent of teenagers. Teenagers are difficult. And so what the tendency to do is, as the dad, I'm quite, I have like rules. But the challenge is, I could, if say my daughter disobeys one of the rules, I could come down hard because it was a rule, she disobeyed the rule. And I could win that little battle with my child. But if I lose her heart in that battle, what do I do? I lose the war. And so the important thing is to us to keep the hearts of our young people. If we're living in homes, if we're living with other people, maybe not your children, again, the important thing is don't lose the hearts. Fight for. We're called to fight for. I like the picture of this guy. He looks like you don't want to mess with him. We're called to fight for our homes. We're called to fight for our families. And some of that is fighting for them in prayer. My grandmother, she prayed every single one of her children into the kingdom because she was willing to fight for them. We can fight for our children by not allowing them to be bullied and by knowing whether they are being bullied. We need to be fighting for. Susanna Wesley, she would fight for her children in prayer. And what she would do is she had a busy household, 10 children. She would go sit in the corner of the kitchen on a chair and she would take her apron, put it over her head, and she would pray. And her children knew that when mommy's got that apron over her head, she's talking to God. And you better not mess with her. And so we need to create moments where we fight for our children, we fight for our families. The last one is we need to always forgive. Now, as I've connected with people, young and old, one of the things that I've seen brings the most destruction in families and in homes is unforgiveness. Someone wise just once said, forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing that you were the prisoner. Mark 11 verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. God calls us to walk in forgiveness. And that's hard, because it often and generally doesn't feel like we we want to forgive. But it's a command God gives us. We want God to hear our prayers, but we need to be willing to forgive. So, in closing, I want to ask you the question. What are you choosing? For you and your household, what is the culture you are creating? What are these boundaries that you are creating in your culture? Are those boundaries based on the Word of God? Is this pervading your family? Like I said, we don't have perfect families. But I know for my family, it's something where we continue to build. We continue. And, and the family dynamic changes. As a child ages, as someone moves out, the dynamic changes. But God calls us to bring His truth and His word into our homes. God calls us to love. You need to be loving the people in your home. God calls us to give time. Make sure you're giving the time you need. Make sure your time is not spent here, but here. Walk with. Walk with people. Fight. Sorry, keep the heart. Don't lose their hearts. 
fight for. Don't give up on people in your family. Don't give up on the tea. If the teenager looks like rebellious, don't give up because God's got his hand on that young person. Keep fighting. And then lastly, always forgive. Make sure you are bringing those before God. So can I ask you to stand as we close? And I want you, as I've been speaking, God's put his finger on something. And it might be on some hurt in your soul because of what happened in your home. It might be on something like, as I said, unforgiveness. You go, please don't go there. Because there's something that that creates a hurt in you. You realize you're holding unforgiveness against someone. It might be that you've messed up in your home. And you're saying, Lord, help me to apply your truth and your word to your home. Whatever it is, I want you to come and bring that before God. And as I pray, I want you to, in your heart, just kind of go, okay, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give those things to you, and I'm going to allow you to bring that healing in that hand. I would also encourage you at the end, after the service, we have the ministry team at the front. Come and ask someone to pray for you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for family. I thank you for the blessing of being in community with others. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will help each one of us to reflect your heart, to reflect your mind in our families, Father. Lord, in our homes, Lord, may our homes be places of joy. May our homes be places of blessing. And Lord, I pray for a healing in our hearts, Lord God, that are hurting. Lord, I pray that you will help us to forgive where we need to forgive. Lord, I pray that you will give us wisdom to bring your culture into our homes, but also into our workplace but also into our city, Father. Lord, I pray for your blessing over each person here. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we will carry your heart and your word into our families, into our lives, Father. Lord, that the city may be changed for you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Amen. amen.